1961 Ferrari 250 GT, California. Less than 100 were made. My father spent three years restoring this car. It is his love, it is his passion. It is his fault he didn't lock the garage. Ferris, what are you talking about? Ferris, my father loves this car more than life itself. A man with priorities so far out of whack doesn't deserve such a fine automobile. Bueller? Bueller? Life moves pretty fast. Oh, well, he's very popular, Ed. You don't stop and look around once in a while. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. You could miss it. Bueller? 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 Welcome, my name is Matt and I'm here with Andrew. Today we're going to be talking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off and how it's really Cameron's story as Ferris tries one last time to wake his friend up to life. So grab your popcorn and Reese's Pieces and let's break it down on the Postcard Podcast. But, man, we got a lot to talk about in this movie, though. A lot. I took down so many notes. Did you really? I did. Oh, wow down so many notes um i'm not going to do an apology thing but um i i i always like to re-listen to our episodes when i release it and mm-hmm. then any of the facts that we put out there i like to double check and that's okay. when we usually issue our apologies where i'm yeah. not even going to worry about the apology this time but um i did state that ferris bueller and uh um the breakfast club were filmed at the same time yeah and that's not true they were they were filmed at the same school just not at the same time they're they were pretty close like i think breakfast club would have been wrapping up filming when ferris bueller started so okay. um but anyways well there weren't a ton of scenes on ferris bueller at the school you know like there was way more in breakfast club yeah see what else i got <laughs> wow it doesn't seem like a lot but it's a lot today's gonna be a day for me tell you what why you don't have much to say no no i'm just worn out oh okay (laughs) you'll be all right i have faith in you yeah uh so man i enjoyed this one so much more than the breakfast club like i think i was always a fan of the breakfast club when i was younger but not me this is just so much fun i i like the breakfast club but not as much as i like ferris bueller's day off it just seems like it gets better every time you watch it I think the Breakfast Club is more, it's like more potent, right? It's more yeah. of a statement of a generation, yeah. which is good. And it's more more important, I think. Yeah. Whereas Ferris Bueller, it's just fun. I mean, yeah. yeah, there's some semi-important stuff in here, but, you know, it's it's not talked about in a way that we would talk about it nowadays as far it's as got a lot more com- health and everything. Yeah, and it's got a lot more comedy than than you know it's a lot more lighthearted than breakfast club was in a way you know i mean like there you know yeah cameron's issues you know but other than that you know there wasn't really any depressing you know family backstories but uh, you know talking about that you know they were actually going to take charlie sheen's character 
and have a whole backstory for him. Like he knew Ferris, you know, in the eighth grade and Ferris tried to help him, you know, just, and That's he weird. comes from that. In fact, uh, his last name stated on IMDb is the same name that his Ferris's mother was uh, selling a house. Oh, and they were, she was to. trying to clone that, close that deal and uh, yes. Jeannie messed it all up. Yes. And if you look outside, there's a, uh, um, says a tow truck, but he's still put as boy in police station i know but like charlie sheen like if you look under um it, it just saying that you know the fact that he was supposed to have a whole big backstory mm, you know okay. and 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 so his dad was the one buying the house um he's he apparently knew ferris and and you know just come from a trouble past or something like that you know but then uh john hughes decided not to uh make that part of the film huh. Interesting. But he was supposed to have like a whole big backstory. And they also said that Charlie Sheen, to get in the role of stayed up drug for two days. addict, yeah. he only stayed up for 48 hours. Yeah, right. Stayed up for two days. Well, here's the thing, though. I think this was like back when he was playing drug addicts when he wasn't really an addict yet, I don't think. I mean, like he probably was doing just as much as everybody else was back then yeah. at their age. But, I mean, now he's doing Now, you know, it's full on tiger blood and crap mm -hmm. like that. You know, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Do you drink Tiger Blood? Yeah. Have you ever drank Tiger Blood? No. You you only deal with like the eye of the tiger, that not the blood of the tiger. It's gross. So let me intro this real quick. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It came out in 1986. This was, uh, again, written and directed just like uh, The Breakfast Club by John Hughes, <clears throat> 80s teen movie maestro. Um, it stars uh, Matthew Broderick as the titular character, Ferris Bueller. Um, also stars Alan Ruck as Bueller. Cameron Fry. Oh, I'm getting to him. Uh, Mia Sarah, Sloan Peterson, Jeffrey Jones as Ed Rooney, Jennifer Gray as Jeannie Bueller, uh, Cindy Pickett as Katie Bueller, Lyman Ward as Tom Bueller, uh, Eddie McClurg as Grace. It also stars Charlie Sheen, Ben Stein, and uh, Christy Swanson. Let's talk about her. Yeah. Because we need to do Buffy. Yes, we do. Now, you like the show better than the movie, right? Yeah, I mean, there was just a lot more to the show than there was right. the movie. I mean, the movie was great for what it was. I mean, I'm a huge fan of, of Buffy. And then, you know, then they came out with the TV show afterwards. Because I remember watching Buffy when we were younger. Yeah. You know, it wasn't because it wasn't really considered a horror film. It was kind of a... Oh, the movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't really considered a horror film. It was like... Um, was that Monster Squad? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you like could kind of get away with watching that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it. I don't even know if it probably had a... Uh, well, no, it probably had a PG-13 rating at the time, but... Uh, well, yeah, getting back to Christy Swanson, she played Simone Adamley. She's the one that had the awesome little speech of, of uh, this person knows this person, who said that this person that said this person, uh, that he, what did he, he threw up at, at uh, 31 Flavors. Um, he's sick. My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows this kid is going with the girl who saw Ferris pass out at 31 Flavors last night. I guess it's pretty serious. Thank you, Simone. No problem whatsoever. Yeah, it all it goes all over the place. This this I mean it really it really just uh, got out of hand there. I He's mean, just they were that famous. The water tower like in his town. He That's what I'm saying. Famous. He didn't. It didn't seem like it started off like. I don't know. I guess he's like the most popular person in, in the, the high school and in the in town, the town or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up, um, because this has to do with all John Hughes movies or most of them, um, is <laughs> what's the uh, what's the quote 
by Jay and Jay and Silent Bob, or was it uh, Dogma? You remember oh, what I'm yeah, talking about? Yeah. See, all these movies take place in this small town called Shermer in Illinois, where all the honeys are top shelf, but all the dudes are whiny pussies. Except for Judd Nelson, he was fucking harsh. But best of all, there is no one dealing, man. Then it hits me. We could live like fat rats if we were the blunt connection in Sherman, Illinois. So we collected some money we owed and caught a bus. But you know what the fuck we found out when we got there? There is no Shermer in Illinois. Movies are fucking bullshit. So basically, he was going off about how awesome Shermer, Illinois would, would be because, you know, there was no dealers there. You know, the girls wanted to hook up all the time. So he was all excited. So he's like, you know, uh, we caught a bus. You know what we found out when we got there? There is no Shermer, Illinois. And he's like, movies are, are you know, BS and everything. But, you know, getting into that, uh, where did I have it here? Let's see. Uh, da, da, da. So during the opening of the Breakfast Club, Brian states a zip code 60062 in Illinois. Uh, that's where Shermer is supposed to be. And of course, Shermer doesn't exist, as Jay said. But uh, that 60062, that belongs to the town of Northbrook, Illinois. Okay. Um, and that's it was originally incorporated back in the day as Shermerville, Oh. But changed his name in 1923, and one of the main roads through the small town is named Shermer Road. So there is kind of a Shermer, Illinois, but it just used to be Shermerville, uh, incorporated Shermerville, but it changed his name in 1923 to Northbrook. Okay. So, you know, Jay was kind of wrong. There is a, a if you want to get the closest thing to Shermer. You know, besides going to the filming locations, you just go to Northbrook. So, yeah. shout out to our Northbrook, <laughs> Illinois people. So, uh, what is it that makes this... Is this your favorite John Hughes movie? I don't know. It's kind of a hard one. I think this one and Weird Science are probably my my tops. Uh, just because they're so fun. Yeah. Um, and iconic. Yeah. So... I, I think, don't know. What do you think? I, it's weird. Science is awesome, you know. And Anthony Michael Hall, that age was awesome, you know. Throughout that age, you know, in his younger years or whatever, I, I, you know, big fan of his his older before stuff. he took on like the menacing. Type yeah, of roles. yeah, yeah. He because you just always see him as that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you know, so that's weird. Science is he's the one that made that show. I mean, him and the supermodel, obviously, but you know. Anthony Michael Hall was the star yeah. of Weird Science, where kind of was the star, supposed to be somewhat of the star because he was the narrator in Breakfast Club, even though, you know, I definitely think... Uh, it has Bill Paxton as a laughing big yeah. pile of shit. It's yeah, hilarious. I know. It's funny. Now, now, Ferris Bueller... It's just so iconic. It's it's one of those most iconic movies of all time. I mean, it really is. Yeah. You know, and and it's probably probably John Hughes's biggest uh, hit. I would have to say it could be either this or the Breakfast Club. I know yeah. the Breakfast Club is just iconic for being like the teen movie of a generation. Yeah, and it's still considered to be like the best teen movie of all time and everything. Yeah. But that's because it deals with a lot of teen issues. This it nowadays not some not not the same kind of teen issues. It doesn't seem like nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, in this movie, the main character loves his parents. His parents adore him. You know, 
and with all of like John Hughes's movies, it's always like they hate their parents, the parents yeah. don't like them, whatever. I mean, like we just got done talking with the Breakfast Club. That was all about all the kids having an issue with their parents. Their parents don't yeah. listen, they don't pay attention, any of that kind of stuff. So And and it's kinda of funny because with Ferris, it's kinda of almost flipped in a way where like Ferris has no issues with his parents, really. No. I mean, almost maybe. They didn't get him a car, but I mean, it's just none of this like like deep-seated angst uh, things where they're going to have to have like therapy for it. Yeah. And and, and, like every kid in the breakfast club. You know, it was more so Ferris taking care, you know, advantage of his parents and his parents probably. takes advantage of everybody. Yeah. Had more of a problem with him, you know, where where now Janine, she had lots of problems with well he was charming right and we were talking about how he's the most popular dude in town yeah uh whether at the high school or just with everybody so that charm has to work on his parents too but the only one it wouldn't work on is a brother or sister because yeah. like if you know brothers and sisters they you feel like they yeah. know you better than anybody which is funny because cameron it works on cameron every single time probably <laughs> You know, I mean, we, we only see it throughout this movie, but because you know, he's him, an only him, child, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. Him and Ferris are such a, such good friends, you know, but and they've known each other for so long. But he still lets Ferris take advantage of him as well. Like, but it's almost like he knows it. You know what I mean? He's like fully aware of what Ferris is doing, but still allows it. You know, where every other character, Ferris was just getting over on him every single time. You know what I mean? He was coming out on top every single time. Camera and and they didn't know it. And the 90% way of the time, the way Jeannie and Ferris would go at each other, they they they're like eight year olds. The yeah. way that they bicker with each other and the way he acts with his parents when they're around yeah. and stuff, when it's just them, they literally, you know, he's just like you know sticking his tongue out and and going shh, yeah. you know, when the parents aren't looking, and she's just like, I hate you, and you know, you know, it's like yeah. eight year olds or something. It like is, that. but like he's still, you know, yeah, he acts like a child too, but at the same just time, it's, it's always it's always like. You know, he, he even gets the better of his older sister. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which which she, well, like, let's see, because Alan Ruck was 30 when he played this role. He was 20, yeah, 29, 29 I think, yeah. something like that, yeah. 29 but, I mean, when he played I this role. Matthew Broderick was like 24, yeah. 24, 25, and they were like actually really good friends, not uh, probably close to best friends, but yeah. you know they they played that Biloxi Blues yeah. um, play before this, and then after this came out, Biloxi Blues actually got turned into a movie. Yeah, that they were starring. Of course, brother. Yeah, and before this, he he had done um, uh, War Games with the Breakfast Club oh, alum Ali a- Sheedy. Awesome, uh, awesome. That, yeah, and that was another so, one of our mom's favorite movies yeah. is, is War Games. It's such a good game. Would you like to play a game? Yeah. And the fact that, you know, 20, 30 years like we already later. Did a, didn't we do a podcast on this? No. On Ferris sure? Bueller? No, on War Games. Oh, no, no. We haven't done War Games yet. I would like to, but I like how, like, 20, we've, 30 years later. We've done so many that I, I just, sometimes I forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like how 20, 30 years later we still have, like, Black Widow and Captain America in uh, in Winter Soldier, the Winter Soldier movie, yeah. and she's like, "Would you like to play again?" She's like, "It's a movie." He's like, "Yeah, I've seen it." Ah, uh, yeah. So, but yeah, that was one of the movies that he caught up on and everything. But um, yeah, they do act they they do act pretty pretty you know re- ridiculous. Um, and you know, Jeannie, she's not supposed to be a sympathetic character because then that would tarnish. What did I call our- her before? Did I call Janine? I don't know. Okay. Remember, uh, she she says her, her name is Jeannie, but guys call her Shauna because of that song. Um, but uh, so Jeannie's not supposed to be a sympathetic character. We're not supposed to like her, right? Because if we liked her, 
and she hates Ferris, that would tarnish our view of Ferris because of how he acts and everything. Yeah. She's obsessed with how everyone views Ferris. You know, uh, she didn't have any friends or acknowledgement at school except for people talking to her about Ferris. Yeah. Notice she wasn't walking with anybody. Nobody no. talked to her about her about anything that had to do with Ferris. Um, you know, she and then she meets this guy at the end, tells her that she's the one with the problem and needs to li- live and let live, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's 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 just really uh, interesting how her character plays out. And you kind of wonder if she just doesn't have any friends because of who she is. Yeah. You know what I mean? How she's the only one that calls BS on, on Ferris, like true calls BS on Ferris. And it's almost, she's the only one that's not charmed by him. Yeah, but but you know and what I'm saying? Like like what's his name? Because Cameron. she's that way with him and everybody loves Ferris so much, does she is she kind of an outcast in that sense? Like maybe that's why she's outcasted. What is she, for, like a year younger than him? Because they're not like twins or oh, something. Oh, so he's not older? Same, yeah, because remember he's graduating. But that's then he said right. Sloan still had another year of school left, which means his sister's probably in the same grade. Yeah. Um and so I didn't know if they, maybe they were just like, you know, fraternal twins or whatever, but yeah. they well, were she, dating she, in real life. Um, oh, the brother and sister, yeah. <laughs> Matthew Broderick yeah. and Jennifer Grey. Did you hear what happened to them? I, did. I mean, that's that's pretty dark, you know? I mean, getting in an accident and basically all the people in the other car were killed. You have no, uh, no essence for setup. You got to set that up, dude. You can't you just can't drop understand it. it. You know, I don't understand emotions. <laughs> no, it's it's so there was it was back in 1987. Uh, Ferris Bueller had come out. Biloxi Blues had just come out, and um, Dirty Dancing was going to come out in like a week. Yeah, when this happened. Uh, so Matthew Broderick, he was like the up and coming. He was like the guy, and then Jennifer Grey. Whenever her movie came out, like five days after this happened, uh, she was then America's sweetheart, you know, and then she she had her whole career ahead of her. Uh, They were going down a road, and um, I think there was an issue with him not being sure what side of the road he was supposed to be on when he was driving, because Matthew Broderick was driving. It was like kind of a little uh, romantic vacation in Ireland uh, that they were taking, and uh, they were driving out on a country road, and... um, they got into an accident it was a straight on road there was no like curves or anything um they still don't know what happened because matthew broderick uh states he has no memory of five minutes before the he remembers driving down the road talking to a cop to ask directions and that's the last last thing he remembers so the accident was bad enough to erase that short-term part of his memory and jennifer gray doesn't know what happened either yeah. Uh, I don't think, but um, they, but they they hit this other car head on, and it was like a, an elderly woman and her daughter. It was like twenty eight years old, yeah. and they killed both of them. And um, uh, it was pretty pretty big news. I think like even afterwards, like Matthew Broderick did like a Honda commercial, and people were like, uh, "It's probably not a good idea if you do yeah. doing car commercials yeah. right now," you know. So they kind of so he kind of fell back and started getting less offers. His career was kind of smushed he still stuck around though and tried to do different things there and there you know eventually ma- broke up with jennifer gray married uh sarah jessica parker yeah. a few years later whatever uh, yeah because jennifer- nowadays in the 90s you know people look at matthew broderick as 
Sarah Jessica Parker's husband. Right, in the 90s. right, because he doesn't it, really do that. Yeah, with anything. Yeah, and so it wasn't. It wasn't. Oh, look, it's Matthew Broderick in so and so movie, and you know uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. It's no, look, that's Sarah Jessica Parker's husband, and that's Sarah Jessica yeah, Parker. Yeah, because she's doing more. You know, yeah. she she her she had more of a you know a surge in her career you know, later on in their lives, whereas he was more popular in the earlier parts of their lives or whatever. But he, he still tried, you know, he did like inspector gadget yeah. and a few other he things. He was real popular in that. Like you, my wife, that's where my wife knew him for because this was her first time watching Ferris Bueller. Uh-huh. And, and if my, if our audience doesn't know, my wife's not a big movie watcher until mm-hmm. she met me. And then, you know, like I've gotten or a video game player until she met. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't play video games. She but does. That's what I'm saying is that, yeah, yeah but, there. but you know, like, you know, I've been intro- slowly introducing, you know, these classics to her, you know, and, and so she got to watch Ferris Bueller, but she knew Matthew Broderick from inspector gadget. That's where she knew him from. And for me, I really knew him more from Godzilla. Godzilla yeah. yeah well, mean, no, for me and you, it was Ferris Bueller first. Well, yeah, but but at the same time, like, I I was into movies my entire life. I've been like this my entire life, you know. But but there was a time in the '90s, you know, getting into high school and stuff like that, you know. So I kind of had to learn to socialize a little bit, or else I wouldn't have made it through. You got out of movies a little bit more. Yeah, a little bit. And so you know, it, when when Godzilla came out, I mean, that was a it was a hit because of what it was you know what i mean it wasn't looked as like an old school J- japanese style godzilla it was more of an americanized godzilla you yeah. know what i mean and and so that's where i knew matthew broderick from originally i mean not originally but you know where i really i think he had a little little uptick for that movie you know yeah you know what i mean like like with inspector gadget yes and then a little uptick for that godzilla movie but then you know i haven't really seen him what, what has he been in recently None really. I think he's probably had some TV stuff, um, but I, I I didn't really get into it because I know he's just really not that uh, not that much of like a mainstay in Hollywood right anymore. Yeah. I mean, Sarah Jessica Parker more is. You know, she's got her Sex in the City and stuff, which seems to never go away. I, this one of those shows, and a lot a lot of people will probably be angry that me saying this, but um, Sex in the City never got into it, and Friends never got into it and i'm one of these people that just never got into friends i watched an episode or two and then that was about it for me you know i i just i didn't really get into it i, I don't know understand i i just don't get it i guess um it's too soap opera ish for me in a way Talking about friends yeah uh i i, I liked friends all right yeah they, they i mean i never really got into it yeah i've been meaning to because people are like no you gotta actually get it you can't just watch a couple episodes you gotta get into it there's our some from what i've seen you know there's some funny parts but so let um, me ask you let me ask you this jeffrey jones is ed rooney in this film in this film mm-hmm. was it just awesome for you it was uh can i just mention these real quick yeah absolutely uh, so Math- what matthew broderick did after that the, the the big ones at least was remember he was in glory yeah which is one of the denzel movies we want to talk mm-hmm. about um he did the lion king remember he was the voice of grown-up simba yeah uh he did the cable guy with uh oh with Jim yeah Carrey. that's he right the guy in the cable guy uh addicted to love it was kind of a smaller movie uh of course like i said inspector gadget he has done, you know, some things throughout the, you know, throughout the years. There, it seems like it's more like, you know, uh, I don't know, Christmas movies or you know, you know, straight to TV movies. He was in that Tower Heist, if you remember that. Oh yeah, okay. 
And he, yes, had, a, he yes. had a role in uh, in Modern Family. Um, he did some voices for uh, Adventure Time. Did you ever watch Manchester by the Sea mm. with uh, Affleck's brother, Casey Affleck? Yes, yes, I did. So he was in that. Apparently, um, mm. I don't. I never saw that, so I wouldn't know. But I mean, the last thing, you know, he'd been in Rick and Morty. He's talking cat. Oh wow! Yeah, and uh, you know the next, the only thing he's got coming up is um, let's see, a mini series called Painkiller. Okay. Uh, a documentary and another movie, but nothing crazy. Yeah. Um, Jeffrey Jones, on the other hand, have you seen this guy's repertoire? His, what, right? his well, his, uh, his catalog, his catalog, or his resume, or whatever. Holy crap! Like, yeah. I mean, and and. I'm not saying this in a bad way at all because he's been in some of the the um, some of my favorite movies. You know, I mean, I mean Beetlejuice. He was in um, uh, I love Stay Tuned. Remember the Stay Tuned with yep. the remote control? Yep. yep, I remember that. I had the um, the dude that died. Uh, Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter. Yeah, John Ritter. John yeah, Ritter. John Ritter. And then uh, he was in The Hunt. Um, with Sean Connery, he was in. He played in Duckman. That remember that cartoon? Ed Wood. Yeah. House guests. I mean, even the Batman animated cartoon. A lot he, of again, Tim Burton. Best. Tim Burton stuff because he was in that Sleepy Hollow that uh-huh. we almost yep. did first season. Yep. <laughs> that we that we trashed. We should do that. Yeah. I know we kind of poo pooed it last time, but we should really do that because I still okay. want to talk about it. All right. You just got bored right. with it and didn't want to do it. I did. It's just it, I got to watch it again and again a couple of times just to kind of get into it again. Yeah. Um, but getting into Jeffrey Jones, uh, it's got a bit of a troubled past. Yeah. Uh, in 2003, he pleaded a no contest to employing a 14-year-old boy to pose for sexually explicit photos. Oh. And, and then he got- I didn't hear about that. Yeah. And then he got in trouble in 2010 for not updating his uh, his sex offender status. Oh. So um, he got some community service for that, but yeah. So he's had some issues. Um, so okay. uh, I'm I'm fine with talking about him if you want to talk about him, but I just won't have much to say about the guy. I I, I just <laughs> I, I didn't know any of this, so that's kind of a bomb dropped on me. But um, no, I mean his 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 role in. But this. yeah, we try to separate yeah. the actor from his work and the roles that they play. Yes. So. But his role in this was just, he was hilarious the entire time. I mean, like, everything he did and then went, went with his secretary, too, was just, I mean, them together was just hilarious. I mean, he was, he's one of these people that go through worlds, like, realizing that basically everybody has always dumped on him, in a way. You or know or I mean? that, that he can't get one over on his nemesis. He finally no. decides to really pursue his nemesis. Yeah. And gets utterly defeated without the nemesis even lifting not a even finger. Close. Yeah, and not even like realizing it either. You yeah. know, and, and the fact that even Ferris uh you know, Ferris's sister, Jeannie, just gets just drop kicks him right in the face, man. Right in the face. And then nobody believed her for some reason. That was really weird. That was kinda weird. And they took her to the <laughs> for putting a false report. <laughs> yeah. No, but it just goes to show again like all these people that are against Ferris in any shape or form, even if he doesn't even know they're against him or they're trying to get him at that moment, fail utterly. Yeah, he's so, one of these characters that's like... Everything goes good for Everything him. goes they, their way. They come out smelling like roses. Like, they have some some interesting parts, but they always come out on top, right? Yeah. So this is what something that I wanted to get in with this movie. 
This movie is called Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and I take it as Ferris Bueller presents a day off for Cameron. Yes, correct. So you and I had talked about this the other day. Um, I feel like when you watch this movie, it's as if you get uh, two different movies in one. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it really is two different movies. I mean, it, it, in, in a way, it's almost like a several small movies with Cameron having the bigger movie, in a way. Yeah, because it, when we're following Rooney and his sister, Jeannie, it's yeah. about Ferris. The yeah. movie's about Ferris. Yeah. But uh, there, there's no real arc there. You no. know, Ferris is the exact same person at the beginning of the movie as he is at the end. He knows who he is. You know, uh, when in The Breakfast Club, it was about discovering that childhood is as good as it gets and hold on and embrace and enjoy your childhood as much as you can because that wonder doesn't really come back you know yeah. you don't have the same wonder as you do as a child and it's okay to be different right yeah. and these 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 um characters in the breakfast club it was like you know they're finding all this out way too late you know yeah. now they've already got adult problems and and dealing with these different issues and stuff ferris figured this out a long time ago yeah when he was much younger and and that's what he's been doing he realizes that these are the best times and he's embracing his life yeah you know so there's no real arc he never really changes because this movie is not about ferris bueller it's about his day off mm -hmm. but about as far as the character uh we, we never see any kind of uh, any actions of the sister or the principal or anybody of that affecting him uh but when we are with our main three characters, Ferris, uh, um, Sloan, and Cameron, Cameron uh, the, the story is about Cameron having a day off and living like Ferris for once. Yeah. You know, and, and getting out of his own head and the, the issues that he has with his dad and his depression and, uh, you know, his hypochondriac and, you know, all this kind of stuff. I think the plural version is hypochondria. Yeah. You so hypochondriac. Oh, did I say that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's hypochondria. You know, <laughs> he, with you. no, no, no. I mean, you're right, but that's 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 what this movie's about. You know, it's about Cameron's day off. You know, Rooney says Ferris is dangerous because of what he could do to other students. The ideas he can give to other students yeah. or whatever. You know, i.e. Cameron. Well, they idolize him. Exactly. So all the all the weight and consequences is on Fer is on Cameron, not Ferris, yeah. because of what can be done with him. And that's basically Ferris waking him up, you know, to that. I mean, hell, there's even at the end a baptism scene where he is on the, uh -huh. the board and everything and he's been in shock, right? Yeah. And he finally goes into the water and, and kind of clears himself up. But uh let's let's go in let's go in order. So how does the movie uh, open up? It opens up with um, the mom checking on Ferris mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, has the dad come. And, you know, he even says uh, afterwards, you know, he's like, uh, what did he say? Uh, the key to it, uh, the key to being sick. He, he's like, you know, if you if you say you have a fever or if you make yourself hot or mess with a thermometer, if you fake a fever, you risk going to the hospital. And that's worth, worse than going to school, right? So this first part is about him acting like he's sick and you can tell that he's not and he's messing with his sister and all that kind of stuff and then when his parents leave and say yeah you can stay home sick um feel better buddy all this kind of stuff he's like you know wow they bought it they bought it you know and so then he goes on to explain to other kids here's how the best way to fake out your parents on how to be sick right the key to faking out the parents is the clammy hands it's a good non-specific symptom i'm a big believer in it a lot of people will tell you that a good phony fever is a deadlock, but uh, you get a nervous mother, you could wind up in a doctor's office. 
That's worse than school. You fake a stomach cramp, and when you're bent over, moaning and wailing, you lick your palms. It's a little childish and stupid, but then so is high school. Hey, you got to correct something on here real quick. Oh, no. I said, when you asked me what my favorite John Hughes movie is, uh -huh. I should have said Home Alone. Well, I, I thought about that, but... I was talking maybe more like written and directed by like his like he writes it and directed because okay. what is what didn't Christopher Columbus direct that? Uh, yes, Home but Alone. but he he wrote it. I think. Mm -hmm. No, he did. Yeah, yeah, John. Yeah. But you say that's your favorite? Yeah, uh, John Hughes written movie. Yeah. Okay, but is this your favorite written and directed by? Probably. Okay. Yeah. Because he has a very... Well, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles was a great movie. And he has a very... Um, I don't think he directed that, though. Didn't he just write that? Uh, yeah. I think the only thing it. he directed was starting with Pretty in Pink, 16 Candles, then Breakfast Club, then Ferris Bueller, and all that. Um, so anyways, he uh, it has an interesting narrative device in this movie, too. Did you catch what's that, what what that is? Mm. The narrative device. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he broke the fourth wall pretty much. Breaking the fourth yeah. wall. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to Dad about that the other day, and uh, I like when they do that in movies, just not not too much. Yeah. And actually, it does happen a lot in Ferris Bueller. But I don't think it's bad. No, yeah. if it's done right, and like this was kind of done in a, a tongue in cheek kind of way. Uh, not like not, not like trying to uh, exposit, you know, trying to talk about the story instead of just showing it. It's more just talking about just the thoughts that he has in his head, which I'm okay with. Yeah. But if you're trying to like explain the story with somebody breaking the fourth wall and talking to the audience, that's lazy. There's easier ways to do that. But I like this because it also shows how playful he is. Yeah. It shows that he's he's inviting us on this journey to show you what's going to happen and usually the protagonist in the movie doesn't know what's going to happen they don't know they're about to have a change and everything so that's uh -huh. i think more evidence that cameron is the way he is yeah so um anyways um ed rooney uh played by jeffrey jones he plays not the vice principal like richard vernon in breakfast club but he plays the dean of students yeah which is usually like a college thing um but the uh they do have it in some schools um and uh, it's basically kind of like the vice principal, but yeah. they just make sure that they're on track with like their attendance, their classes and all that kind of stuff, behavior, different things like that. So you have like an academic advisor and then you have like or a dean of uh, academia or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then you have a, a dean of students Yeah, and he's the dean of students. So he's basically making sure that. You know, kids are coming to school, making it to school on time, you know, have the right schedule in class. <laughs> Going and from nine attendances to two. Exactly. Yeah. So when he sees that happen. So um, for some reason, he picks uh, this day to really go after Ferris. Yeah. And I think that's because he's at, he's at nine absences and this will be like number 10. Yeah. Um, so and as he's talking to the mom, he uh, <laughs> he sees the numbers start going down. You see that Ferris got a, a computer instead of a car. His sister got a car, and yeah. he bitches about it a lot in this movie yeah. about how he didn't get a car. But uh, he does use it to hack in and change. Now it doesn't do him any good because Rooney actually watched the numbers go down, so he knows it's been hacked into. 
But how can he prove it, though? And Ferris probably wouldn't care anyways, because yeah. he'd just be like, no, you know, people believe him. He got flowers from the the uh, the faculty at the school. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and Rudy got so mad, he's like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> people that are under him in position uh, are... It almost makes it fruitless for him to be doing like like the only way this would work out is if he were to catch him stone cold, Steve Austin. But even even then, people wouldn't would probably not believe it. Like he'd have to catch him on video yeah. for anybody to shatter the you know the uh, image of Ferris that they have. You know yeah. he's like this amazing person. He's he's great. He never does wrong and all this this kind of so it almost like Ed should have just kind of like you know. Uh, wrapped it up or, or yeah. just like just uh, let he spends so much effort trying to catch ferris and it's like the guy obviously has no life <laughs> you know what i mean it's like you know it's kind of one of those things where it's like some people live at work and some people you know work to live when you he has I mean? a huge ego problem and so he doesn't yeah. like that ferris gets away with all this stuff and he should be the one in charge and and everybody should have to listen to him and Ferris doesn't listen and be to a him. fan of him exactly which they're not nobody's a fan of him yeah I like I like the back and forth between uh between Rooney and uh his his assistant grace yeah. uh played by Edie McClurg um she was hilarious she you know was. she did her own she did ad, she ad-libbed stuff yeah she did her own hairdo she's a very um what do you call it um the ad-libbing uh not off the cuff, but uh, you know that type of acting yeah. or whatever, where you make the Rob Williams the, the, the spot and everything. Yeah. Uh, uh, she's one of those actresses, and uh, so she did her own hair, and we got she got to set. You know, John Hughes is like, how many pencils do you think you could fit in there without them falling out? And so that was why there was the joke about the first thing you see her doing is pulling like four pencils out of her hair, <laughs> and like she's looking so confused because she has so many pencils. Yeah. And then she helped Jeffrey Jones because he's he's a very by the script actor. Mm. Improv is what I was thinking of. He's not very, uh, he's not very, uh, very much of an improv actor. He likes to go by the script. Yeah. But she was, and John Hughes is like, okay, I just want to see a lot of chaos running back and forth between the two offices. Oh, and she stuff. did a great job. And she's like, and he like, he was. She goes, oh, okay, we can do that. And he's like wide eyed, and he he told, he's like asking her like, what do we do? What are we gonna? How do we do this? And she goes, okay, we're gonna play a game. It's called help and hinder. And it's basically, I'm going to be trying to do everything I can to help you, but what I'll actually be doing is getting in your way yeah. and hindering you. <laughs> and it's, I think it's like an acting game or something. So it's one of these things like wherever he's going in one direction, she's going in the opposite <laughs> direction. She, you know, she's getting out of the phone. Just, oh, just, just, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, just trying to talk in Rooney's voice. The fact that, I mean, you just think back at this and it's like uh, her How role. Yelling, Grace. Was, Grace! 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 <laughs> and the fact that, that she just, I mean, she's trying to help him so much, but like you said, you know, she's hindering him more than anything. Right. Grace! But I mean, she does get his back on a lot of things. You could tell that she likes working for him. She's just a chaotic person in general. Her character is, at yeah. least, you know? Yeah, and then we don't see her again no. for the rest of the movie. No. There's not even any kind of like calling to check in. I was hoping we'd see a little bit more of her. I was kind of disappointing that she was only at the beginning. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that Rooney, I mean, I understand, you know, I mean, he frustrate, you know, Ferris frustrated Rooney so much that he got into his own car 
and went to Ferris's house and to broke try to into Ferris's house. Into like, Harris's. who does this? Exactly, a guy with a huge ego who can't stand that this kid runs the show. Yeah, and runs the school literally, I and mean, probably runs the town. Yeah, basically. I mean, you got to save Ferris. Somebody painted on, save on Ferris on the water tower. Yeah, which was taken for a band that yeah. that uh, you know loved that movie yeah. as well. But uh, yeah, just their interaction together was great in this movie. And the teachers. So we, we cut to the classroom and we hear Mueller, you know, he, it's Ben Stein. He's taking, he's taking attendance. He's, he gets everybody else. And then, you know, he starts with the, the famous, famous line, Mueller, Mueller. And, Cause he's got like a doctorate in uh, economics. Doesn't yeah. He? Yeah. That's he's why a, he, they call him Dr. Stein. I, I don't know if they call him doctor. I'm sure he is a doctor. Uh, he, he's a genius. Crazy smart. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. One of the, it just, I mean, in this scene, they just said, uh, they, they, there was no script. They were just like, hey, just start talking about something that has to do with uh, economics or, or history. The, the history and stuff. And so he's like, oh, okay, I'll talk about, talk about the Smoot-Hawley uh, tariff effect. Yeah. You know, and I read about that in history. And whenever, whenever I was a kid, I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. Yeah. But watching it now as an adult, and I've done so much, you know, reading on history and everything. I'm like, oh, okay, I know what that is now. But back then, yeah, I could see, yeah. I was like, anyone, anyone, the smooth Holly Tariff Act to help to anyone, anyone raise or lower, raise, raise the tax. So, I mean, the way he was just going off on that, and he said that everybody at the end was applauding, and he thought it was because they learned something from economics, but that they were just plotting because he did such a good job at being boring. Yeah. In 1930, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives, in an effort to alleviate the effects of the, anyone, anyone, the Great Depression, passed the, anyone, anyone, a tariff bill, the Hawley-Smoot Tariff Act, which... Anyone raised or lowered, raised tariffs in an effort to collect more revenue for the federal government. Did it work? Anyone? Anyone know the effects? It did not work, and the United States sank deeper into the Great Depression. Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Anyone? Anyone seen this before? The Laffer Curve. Anyone know what this says? It says that at this point on the revenue curve, you will get exactly the same amount of revenue as at this point. This is very controversial. Does anyone know what Vice President Bush called this in 1980? Anyone? Something D-O-O -O economics. Voodoo economics. And the, the, he was only going to be a voice, but the, the, the kids were laughing so hard at the way yeah. he was talking and explaining things, John Hughes decided to put him in there and have him, and have him all was the, this whole speech. So this was in a high school, right? That classroom didn't seem like a high school classroom. It looked more like a college that, classroom. Well, no, the the first one that, that he was in with Christy Swanson, that yeah. looked more like a high school. Are you talking about the one that Sloan was in later on when yeah. she got pulled out? Yes. That one did more, look more like a college. Now, I think they filmed at two different places because they filmed at one – that was like a bleacher setup almost, you know? Yeah, there was one that uh, was at the same high school as The Breakfast Club and another one that was John Hughes' actual high school. And he got he has a shot of a door and you see a bunch of brick pillars down there and then a shot of a glass door. And I can't remember if it's going into the Bueller scene or if it's going into the Sloan in the classroom scene. It's one of those two. But that's where John Hughes used to leave out of that, that door every day. Yeah. 
to leave high school, you know. And yep. So it's just kind of cool that he was able that to go back cool. to his own school and and you know paint that go picture. Back to my high school. Yeah, and then that English teacher, Sloan's Sloan's English teacher, the way that he was talking, he's like, "What in what way does the author's use of the prison?" Symbolize, <laughs> but it was hilarious how he's pulling it off. Yeah, yeah. And then we get the phone call into what basically the main arc of the movie is, yeah. and that's Cameron. So Ferris calls him and he's like, "Hey, what are you doing?" He's like, "I'm sick." And he's like, "Oh, that sucks. Come over and pick me up." Yeah. And he's like, "Didn't you hear me? I said I'm sick." And he goes, "Yeah, that really sucks. Now come over and pick me up." He's like, he's used to Cameron saying he's sick. I'm so disappointed in Cameron. 20 bucks says he's sitting in his car debating about whether or not he should go out. Yeah. Cameron says he's sick, so, you know, he doesn't have to deal with the world. And, and you know, he, he also wants knows, to be sick so he doesn't have to go out and yeah. deal with anything. But he also knows that Ferris, what Ferris is doing to him and what Ferris is going to end up eventually. Because, you know, he even says it. He'll keep calling. He'll keep calling. <laughs> <laughs> that scene was hilarious. And when he goes, like, I'll go, the car, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Kicking. <laughs> <laughs> keep calling me he'll keep calling me until i come over he'll make me feel guilty this is, uh, this is ridiculous okay i'll go i'll go i'll go i'll go i'll go with i'll go shit It's like, no. he's flipping out. He's having like a mental breakdown and the yeah. movie's just started. And yeah. it's just because Ferris was like, come over and pick me up. So he, uh, Ferris reminds me of me being like, look, I'm going to keep annoying you until you come pick me up. Let's yeah. go. Let's go do something. And, he, and you know what's even worse is that he gets over there and he starts making fun of Cameron's car, who actually Cameron owns a car. It might be a piece of crap. Yeah, like, he's like, like, it's a piece. Of, he's like, don't, don't worry. I, I have to, I have to envy your piece of piece crap. of crap. Yeah, and, and, and the fact that, you know, he was insulting his car, you know, at the same time praising him because he has one and he doesn't, you know? Yeah, yeah, that, and that was one thing that you could tell was one of the rare things that really irked Ferris is that he didn't have a car. Yeah. Because he mentioned it a few times. Yeah. He's like, you know, it still doesn't change the fact that I don't own a car, you know? And uh, and then he wants to, to drive the Ferrari. His, was it a Ferrari? It was a Ferrari. Yeah, had the horse and everything. Oh yeah, that's right. Because because then he wanted to, um, apparently that they they John Hughes could not afford to actually get a Ferrari. They, they had, had to use a mock up of uh, like basically just a another car body with. Yeah, I think it was like a Mustang. I don't know if it was a Mustang. Or yeah, what. but yeah, they, they kid just him put out. The, yeah, and so they had three different versions: one that they'd actually ride in, one that was something else, and then one that got pushed out the window, and yeah. that was just a body. Yeah. There was nothing under, or I mean, you know, just the shell. There was yeah. no, no engine, no, no, no seats. It was or, my favorite, my wife's favorite part anyway, so. Yeah. So, 
But anyways, yeah, so they're at that school. Uh, what do you think about Sloane, played by Mia Sarah? She played a lot. She was really, to be honest with you, she was pretty much the only mature person in the entire film. Yeah. In my opinion. And, and the fact that she was like the youngest person in the cast. I mean, she was, was only she? 18 playing oh, 17. Yeah, that's right. So she was she was an 18-year-old playing 17, and John Hughes was blown away by her performance because she's she did, very adult. She's very mature for yeah. you know her age. And and in this film, she was really the only some sort of voice of reason for Ferris and Cameron. Well, for Cameron. Type. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think her and Ferris are perfect for each other because they're both forces of nature. You know, she was sitting there. She's absolutely bored with school. Doesn't want any part of it. Yeah. You know, some a lot of kids are bored with school, but they know that they need to be there. It seemed like me, Sloane and Ferris felt that they shouldn't be in school. Like, yeah. like they were, they were, they were done with it. They were above yeah. it, and they were ready to move on to to do all the what life yeah. had in store for everybody. They wanted to go and grab it. I kind of thought the yeah. school thing was nonsense, and they just need to be done with and it. And I kind of felt the attraction with each other is they that, were perfect. Yeah, yeah. The the attraction to each other was the fact that you know she liked that Ferris. <clears throat> was the top uh, you know top of his game top of the food chain and that he scammed stuff yeah and 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 that she she basically had fun with Ferris but she's the type you know it was kind of like one of those situations where she had fun with Ferris where cuz Ferris wasn't like anybody else in the town so and then and Ferris liked her because she was kind of like him in a way where where you know she just would go with the flow you know that's why her and Cameron are Ferris's friends and girlfriend you know because you know, they, they just kind of get on the Ferris Bueller ride and just go with it where everybody else tries to fight it or everybody tries to idolize it, you know, but knows that they can't get on that ride. But where Sloan and, and Cameron, you know, they always have a ticket to ride. Yeah, you know? ticket to ride. Yeah. I, you know, it's it's one of these things where in these movies you always see like the two romantic leads or whatever, which is basically um, uh, Ferris and, and Sloan. Although I do think that uh, Cameron I was gonna, has a I was gonna say bit of a, a thing for Sloan, yeah. but um, and, and I think that possibly they end up together because yeah. I don't think that Ferris and no, Sloan that's that end relationship up won't work because when, once she real he states it right out at the end he goes yeah. Sloan's a bigger problem because she's still got another high school I'm not gonna wait around for that yeah but at the same time like with her you know yeah she might be younger than him. But her maturity level is going to go to that point where she's the type of person that probably is like, you know, I need to really start dating older guys. Maybe. Yeah. You know, maybe that, that could because be the, way. the maturity level that she's at. I feel like these two were not neither of them changed from the beginning to the end. Yeah. They were both. Uh, they both loved the antics that they got up into. Mm -hmm. um, she him getting on the parade float. They even that was a bit for her going like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You know, but she was going along with everything else. Yeah. She was also telling Cameron to calm down about the car and everything. Yeah. Instead of being, you know, Ferris, he has a point. He's going to get in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Or having some kind of problem between Ferris and Sloan, you know, like, oh, well, don't you want to marry me? Oh, don't you want, you know, when they brought up the marriage thing, you know, that could have gotten turned into a whole, well, I'm not ready to get married. I don't want to be married. Well, yeah. I want to be with you, but I don't want to be married. You know, that could have gotten turned into that whole thing. It seemed to me like Ferris and Sloan were on the exact same page the whole way through. You know, they had their little romantic moments. It's like they were just having a good day together. She was perfectly fine. Uh, she's a force of nature just like he is. Yeah, That's and she's the I only felt. thing that really kind of wrangles either of them in to a point. 
you know. Now, you know, Ferris can't really be reined in, but in a way she kind of does in her own way. You know what I mean? Like, like she kind of, you know, Ferris is pretty much saying, leave Cameron alone. He's just act, basically, he's acting like a big baby the entire time, you know, where she's kind of like, Hey, you know, Ferris, you know, yeah, you'll get in trouble. He will get in trouble, you know, uh, you know, and the same thing with it kind of bring, you know, he, she kind of brings Cameron back to reality a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so they go get this uh, Ferris eventually convinces and I don't know how because of who Cameron is, but Ferris eventually convinces him to get the Ferrari and even uh, Ferris says it later on. He's like, he goes, I don't even know how I got got the uh, the, the Ferrari out of the garage. Yeah. You know, based on how Cameron was raised yeah. and how he lives his life and everything. But he seemed like he put more, Cameron put more of a fit up about going to pick up Ferris than he did with the Ferrari. Yeah, well, that was him just not wanting to be a part of this day. He knew that Ferris had plans. He knew that because when the nurse first came into the classroom, Sloan's classroom, she immediately started gathering up her books. Like, she knew what was about to happen. So, but then later on in the movie, Sloan's like, you knew exactly what you were doing when you woke up today, didn't you? And he's like, you know, he was like, yeah, or whatever. But it's like it's like she knew what was going on. So maybe he planned it or whatever. Either way, Ferris didn't or Cameron didn't want any part of what Ferris had planned for today. But once he got moving and got actually got over there, now Ferris can get him to do whatever he wants because that's yeah. just who Ferris is and that's who Cameron is. And so he gets him to call Rooney. You know, he gets him to not only uh pick Sloan up in his father's car but take it to Chicago and then put it in a garage yeah. you know all these different things i think that Cameron wanted to be at that point he he wants to be like Ferris he just doesn't know so he lets basically Ferris you know control him for a day and yeah. push him into these situations and he puts up a little bit of a fuss but you know he really doesn't put his foot down that hard yeah you know so anyways that's how i saw it um the picking up the the um the Sloan picking up Sloan from school part that was a little weird don't well, you think and, and he he knows Ferris like he knows exactly what he looks like he knows how tall he is all that kind of stuff um he's already suspicious that Ferris is involved with all this now the whole phone call with the fake dad right, and everything threw him, threw, off, him off, threw him off but seeing that person there that looks a lot like Ferris it seemed like he had no idea who um, Cameron is because Cameron seems to be one of these people that go under the radar probably. Now, being the dean of students, he probably knew who Cameron was, yeah. but was probably a lot less familiar with him. It would just seem like like Cameron being in the disguise would make more sense. Well, at the same time, though, you know, the fact that Ferris talks about him not having a car, right? Uh-huh. I'm sure everybody in the town probably knows that Ferris didn't get a car and, and wanted a car and Ferris doesn't have a car. Maybe he made up some of excuse of why he didn't get it or something. Or something, but the fact that he knows he doesn't have a car. Now, somebody pulls up in a Ferrari, you know, and... and but that remember, puts, Sloan's, Sloan's family was supposed to be rich. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He pulls up in a Ferrari, you know, and so Rooney already knows, you know, he's already flustered, you know, but he also knows that Ferris doesn't have a car and that, you know, but he probably also doesn't want to admit that Ferris could get a car. But I'm sure he knows that like Cameron's dad, he knows Cameron's friends. I don't know. It just seemed very, very risky, but they did make a point to make that she, she was rich though. They made that point, I think for that reason to let, you know, show some uh, belief in the fact that, you know, she could be going home and her dad could own that Ferrari. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. So I think that that's why they made a point to say her family is rich. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, it does make a point in the movie of of you know Cameron saying Ferris Ferris can do anything. You know, he, everything always works out for him. So it's one of these one of these characters. And I was trying to think of because I've I know I've seen a couple other stories where where this happens like but, the type a personality well or it's just a character who kind of just everything works out like the great gatsby now it didn't work out good for him in the end but i mean things like that or the sandlot yeah. the 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 main pitcher you know you had the other kid that was the new kid or whatever but you had that pitcher guy that everything worked out for him you know and it's it's not like any effort of them trying it's just like their nature they just go through life like with so much confidence and everything because things always work out for and Feifel, like for Feifel knows goes west i don't know that movie very the well the cartoon mouse no i know what you're talking about i don't know the everything movie everything just enough. goes right for him except for he loses his family but he gets them back is that like rango it was back in the 80s so it's before rango no Rango's i know like but it. isn't rango isn't that like the story to of rango? A point. i don't know one of those stories where everything always works out for the character right and, you know, no matter what happens, you know, it's same thing with like psych, you know, everything always works out for Sean True. and it pisses everybody else off, True. especially Gus and Sean's, especially that's Sean's dad. That's a good example. Yeah. So, uh, that's, that's, that's kind of thing that I like about this is that, um, okay, here's Ferris's story. He wakes up, he wants to have a good day off. He doesn't need any kind of character development because he's already where this youth that's seeing this movie want him to be. He's a rebellious guy. And want to be. Yeah, he's a rebellious guy that, you know, thumbs his nose at, at authority and, and grown-ups, does whatever he wants, has a good time, never gets caught, has a great life. Just missing a car is all. Yeah. But his mom was about to get, you know, some kind of commission that she was going to get him a car. Yeah. But anyways, so, I mean, it's 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 that. He has this girlfriend. She They don't have any problems. She, she knows exactly who he is. They love being together. They are just as wild as each other. They're great, and by the end of the movie, everything works out for both of them. Yeah. No consequences whatsoever. Yeah. That's why Ferris Bueller is not the main character. Yeah. Um, there's something called dramatica theory of story, um, and it's this idea of separation between the main character's storyline and the objective storyline. So the main character's storyline um, would be, uh, uh, um, oh, what you call it, uh, Cameron's, Cameron's deal. Mm-hmm. And and then the objective storyline is the the kids getting to Chicago and getting back in time that they don't get caught. Right. That's the main objective of this movie. Of the movie is let's go have fun and then let's get home before and not get caught. I mean the gall of Ferris. I mean to to think that he could go to Chicago, the gall in, in, in the a Ferrari gall with his girlfriend he broke out and his best friend that he may go with him and still. You know, the planning that had to go with this. I mean, and get back in time. But knowing Ferris, there's probably no planning yeah. at all because they yeah. just pull into some random garage to park the, the Ferrari. Yeah. 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 I just think it's funny. It's, I mean, the gall of the guy that just, just you know, thinks he, he uh, you know, just knows he won't get caught no matter what. You yeah. know? I mean, just... I'd be worried. I'd be like, okay, well, well, see, it takes 30 minutes to get there. It takes 30 minutes to get back. So I need to make sure I leave at this time to get back in time to drop this and, person off. And, and by the way, they're only, they only live 10 miles outside of Chicago, apparently, because okay. of the uh, odometer reading. Um, but yeah. yeah, like Rooney, he goes to a pizza place 
that has a couple arcade games. He mm-hmm. thinks that's where he's going to hang out because most teens, <laughs> most teens of that age uh, in the yeah, 80s would the probably 80s. be there yeah. at a pizza place playing games. And it's definitely what he probably would have been doing when he was a teenager True. or something. At the arcade. Uh, or at the hop. Let's go to the hop or something. Yeah, he's older, so. But yeah, so he just assumes that. But not Ferris. Ferris is going to get a Ferrari and go to Chicago. You know, while all these other kids, they were going to go down the road and sneak to a pizza place and play arcades and then go home and like veg out or something. Ferris steals a Ferrari and goes to Chicago and goes to one of the most famous art museums in the world, goes to the biggest building in the world at the time, you know, goes to uh, one of the biggest baseball games or baseball team games uh, and uh, goes to a fancy restaurant and then How ends up taking over a parade. Yeah. I mean, that's what Ferris Bueller does on his. That's why he's so out there. And it's so cool to be like, oh, you know, Ferris Bueller and everything. There's no way he could be the person that has a character arc and all the struggles that go with it. That's why we're. That's why it's Cameron. Cameron trying to not be like Ferris, but maybe be more like Ferris. Um, that's the point is that everybody could be a little more like Ferris. It's a very yeah. youth uh, centered movie where um, it's dreams about, you know, rebelling against authority, you know, and, you know, us as parents now, we're just like, you know, you better knock that crap off, you know. But when we were younger, they, you know, that's what it was about. You know, that's what yeah. being that's what being a, um, a burgeoning teenager and. Uh, and coming into your own and wanting to take control of your own life, you know, first you have to poo-poo the authority, you know, poo-poo it, poo-poo it. So <clears throat> they take it, uh, they, 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 they all get in the car, they go to Chicago. And of course, then you get all these shots of Chicago, you know, big city downtown. Yeah. It starts playing that music and everything. And you get all these shots. And of course, John Hughes is from Chicago. Yeah. This is meant to be a love, love, uh, letter to Chicago basically yeah. this film uh, I think he wrote out about a trip to Chicago so he could show off all the places in Chicago yeah. and then built the story of Ferris Bueller around that initial Probably. idea yeah. um, because they go everywhere they go to the art museum I forgot what it was called um, they go to the Sears Tower they go to the Cubs game they go to uh, was it the Cubs or the, the White Sox? It was the Cubs. It was the Cubs. Yeah. So they go to the game. Uh, they go to uh, a fancy restaurant that they end up seeing their dad, uh, Ferris's dad. Yeah. At, you know, and they run into him a couple times. You know, it's it's and such a big city. They happen to run into the dad like three. Right. T- I don't. I say run into him at the restaurant and then in traffic and then he looked down. Maybe on he him, knew the, the restaurant that his dad goes to and he's like, you know what, I want to go there. Maybe maybe he's heard about it. Yeah. Says his dad goes to these fancy businesses. He's like, you know what, I'm 18. I can go do that too. For all we know, Ferris could have planned this out for an hour last the night before planned out the whole trip or when and, he woke up and he's like you know what look at because he says at the beginning you know how can i be expected to go to a school on a day like this yeah maybe he woke up and he was like oh my god this is a beautiful day i'm gonna do it yeah what he's been planning in his head yeah. for months or whatever yeah, yeah. and it's probably at the towards the end of the school year springtime looks looks like it's springtime whatever yeah. um but then they go to this garage and and the the the, the thinking behind this is will will drive backwards to make the odometer go backwards. And you're like, okay, that's a silly joke because nobody's that dumb. But then they get back at the end of the movie and they put the car up on blocks and they put it in reverse, thinking that'll take the miles off of it. I mean, come on. I know they're teenagers, but how stupid do you have to be? 
I mean, in all reality, Ferris may have not uh, really known that that's that true. Doesn't he doesn't happen. have a car. He might have just said that. Well, no, what I'm saying is maybe he already knew that and he just told Cameron that to be able to drive the car. But he did seem genuinely shocked when he came in and looked at the miles and saw that nothing has come off. I think it does show that as much as he wants to be adult and he's ready to take off, yeah. there's a lot of naivety to uh, mm-hmm. to Ferris. He doesn't own a car, so he doesn't know these things about cars. You know, yeah. He knows how to drive it because it's a Ferrari and I'm going to drive a Ferrari, yeah. but... You know, he doesn't know how the odometer works yeah. or whatever it is, you know. So it does show there's a bit of naivety and that you may want not want to go full Ferris. Yeah. But but to take, you know, some of the lessons that he does. But um, these types of cars, Ferraris and stuff, they're usually given to like private, privately owned car parks where, you know, they have monitor video monitoring where you can see what now you know maybe back then it wasn't as advanced as that but would you be giving a ferrari to these these guys and or would you know at that age that a five dollar tip to take care of it was kind of insulting or a finsky as as ferris bueller said yeah but yeah as soon as it's like yeah you know we'll give him a fiver and uh you know have him take care of the car i'm like oh gosh yeah and the only reason they said thank you is because they wanted to drive it yeah, you know? but um, but yeah. So then they get they get in and they start uh, exploring uh, Chicago. What did you think about everything that happened in Chicago? Oh, it was beautiful. Chicago's a beautiful city, man. Um, you know, I haven't been there in ever. I mean, it's one of those places I want to go. I've been to Chicago, but at the airport. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the only te- time I've been there. Technically, I was in Chicago. And I've been there a lot because yeah. Chicago is a huge layover yeah. city. But, um, you know, it's just a beautiful city. And I, I know during uh, St. Patty's Day, they actually uh, uh, dye the river. I don't know if they do it anymore. I think they do, though. Oh, yeah. for Because uh, they did that in um, The Fugitive Yeah, with Harrison Ford. They mm-hmm. I think they dyed the river then. Oh, I love that movie. I've got, I got to watch that movie again. Yeah, we got to do it again. That's the one that we said... You know, um, Tommy Lee Jones beat out Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. for his Gilbert Grape yeah. performance. Uh-huh. And it was like, you know, all apologies to Tommy Lee Jones because I love him. Yeah. But I really think that Leo should have won that. Yeah. But that's just me. And that's shout out to, um, you know, Alicia saying Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, shots fired. <laughs> shots fired. Hey, you know, like I was telling her, it's a great, great. He's a great, great actor. I mean, I, I don't take away from him that. I just call him, I've always called him Leonardo DiCaprio anyway, so. Yeah. Um, while, while all that's going on, all Jeannie is doing is obsessing over Ferris. Yes. She basically has no life of her own. Yeah. And she's obsessed with Ferris. So as, as much as everybody is obsessed with Ferris one way, she's obsessed with Ferris another way. Well, the yeah, same, the same way as Rooney, complete though. opposite. Yeah, exactly. Ferris and, and Rooney are the only ones that don't. Uh, you know, see him through, you know, rose-colored glasses or whatever. You said Ferris, but you meant Jeannie, right? Yeah, Jeannie and Rooney. Yeah, you said Ferris. Yeah, so um, all of that's going on. Uh, Rooney goes and checks a pizza place. He uh, (laughs) thinks that some girl is Ferris and uh, says something like, I'm going to nail you now or something. It it was pretty bad, and she she spits soda at him. Um, Nowadays, probably would have got a punch in the face. Yeah, and or maybe the cops called it. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, but he's he's trying to now find out, trying to find some proof 
and he is going above and beyond. You know, he goes yeah. to he goes to Ferris's house. He finds out that Ferris has got a little tape set up here, and uh, with a recording, and you know that tells him right there in itself should have been enough evidence. But yeah. you know, he's dealing with as he's trying to get into this house, flowers being delivered from his own faculty <laughs> to Ferris. So he's thinking, how am I going to prove this? I got to get into this house to actually yeah. prove it. I don't know how getting in the house proves it because now you could just call the cops and saying, Hey, this dude's in our house. Yeah. And even if he did get in the house and find Ferris, I was like, what is the point of all this? Because Ferris could just come out in a robe and be like, what are you doing? Yeah. And he's like, well, I'm here because you're not at school. He's like, I'm excused by my parents. What are you doing here in my yeah. house? Yeah. There's absolutely no point to this except to show the lengths that this this dude is obsessed yeah. in, 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 you know, and I think he's supposed to represent that authority figure of parents keeping kids that want to have fun down, yeah. you know, and that's what the, John, the point that John Hughes is making is, you know, teenagers want to rebel and they got to rebel. You know, they're becoming themselves and they have to rebel. Now, you know, you want them to do it in healthy ways and stuff. But, you know, that's why I feel Rooney was was representative as the Ferris is the ultimate goal of what kids want to be. Teenagers want to be and everything works out for them and they they just have an awesome life. And Rooney is the ultimate um, authority figure of parents and teachers coming down on you, trying to ruin your Mm -hmm. your teenage years, you know, trying to bum you out and all that. Yeah. So um, he's doing that, and uh, as he's trying to get in this house, of course, they got a Rottweiler. <laughs> he loses his shoe. Uh, he loses his wallet when he finally breaks into the house. Um, he steps in mud. Yeah, he's all messed up. And then he, he finally breaks into this house when Jeannie gets home and finds out that Ferris is not there as well, which is exactly what she thought. And uh, she she hears a noise. He gets in the house. He hears a noise. They both sneak up on each other thinking they're sneaking up on Ferris and they jump out at each other and it's hilarious because they're like, ha ha, ha ha. <laughs> Ferris. Bueller. drops i love that i love that scene i mean don't you think she i mean being a year younger don't you think she would have recognized who that was i mean well i think afterwards she probably did but remember his hair was all disheveled and he was all messed up yeah oh he still looked the same but um she probably freaked out didn't even think about it at first kicked him went upstairs um and then after she calmed down a bit i don't know though that's a good question because it was only after she got back from the police station that she found the wallet in their kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't because otherwise she would have given that to the cops as proof that somebody broke into her house. Yeah. But the cops arrested her for making a <laughs> false police report because they couldn't find any evidence. Even though he must have left mud tracks everywhere because he was all muddy. You know, he left his wallet there. Did the cops sweep the house? Did they do anything? And how, how do you know that the guy saw after he got drop kicked didn't if it was a burglar didn't run out the door and you know the cops are just going to automatically not believe her whatsoever and he would have left marks because he's all muddy and wet and stuff he would have left marks on the ground when he fell and yeah obviously he dropped his freaking wallet i mean how do cops sweeping a house to check for an intruder not see a wallet on the ground and say oh is this somebody that lives in the house no it's not must have been the intruders so i don't know how she got arrested and and that's that's 
the post credit podcast brings you our Rachel moment of the episode. <laughs> the Rachel moment. Yeah, it's one of these things that you just have to let go because for some reason she had to go to a police station to get some insight from a drugged up Charlie Sheen. And Wait, I, no, and I he mean wasn't that drugged I up. I mean that in a tongue in cheek way because he was up for forty eight hours. That's just how Charlie Sheen is. is yeah. Just drugged up, but in this you had to say it because you know this is when I think he first started. Yeah, but because um, they had his John Hughes had his brother in uh, the Breakfast Club right before this one, and then ends up having Charlie in this one. Yeah. So then uh, uh, she has to go to the police station and await what's going to happen to her. Then Ferris. Cameron and Sloan are all walking the streets. There's a parade going on. And, of course, this is mine and probably most others' favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Cameron offends Ferris by saying he hasn't seen that much today. He's like, hey, we should really be getting getting going. And, you know, Ferris is like, we still got a few hours. And he's like, no, we need to get – I know it's, you know, I know you don't care, but, you know, this is my ass if we don't get the, the car back. And he's like, I care. And he's like, come on, Cameron, what have you seen today? And Cameron goes, not much. And Cameron and Ferris just like kind of almost loses yeah. it. He's like, I just showed you the the best day any kid has had in skipping school. And you're telling me yeah. you haven't seen much? And he gets pissed and takes off. And then, you know, Cameron obviously thinks that Ferris is messing with him and just leaving them there just to just to make him sweat or whatever. And then, of course, Ferris being Ferris, getting away with whatever he wants, because you know there's got to be news cameras and journalists taking pictures. Yeah. This is going to be in the newspapers. This is going to be in the new nightly news tonight. You know, it's going to be probably on the news tomorrow and the newspapers tomorrow. Ferris doesn't care because at this point he's just like, screw everything else. I need to do something huge for Cameron here. Yeah. I need to wake him up. And it, it turns out that the, just the bad stuff an overwhelming acceptance of the bad stuff is what can make Cameron wake up. But mm -hmm. so anyways, for some reason, almost every character in this movie either hummed or sang Donka Shane. Yeah. The song, uh, throughout this movie, um, sometime, I, I, I don't know why or where it came from. Ferris was the first one. He was singing it in the shower. Mm -hmm. And then, um, uh, Rooney was singing it in the, in the movie. And, uh, Jeannie was singing it when she was leaving the police station, all that kind of, anyways. So he comes up lip syncing, you know, Don Shame by uh, Wayne Newton. And, uh, and it's just, you know, everybody's loving it. And, and, uh, Sloan and Cameron are freaking out and everything. And then comes uh twist and shout from the Beatles. Yeah. Now, when I was younger, I didn't know, I don't think I had heard twist and shout that much. Our mom didn't like the Beatles. She's British, but she's a Rolling Stone fan. So she, she doesn't like the Beatles. And um, so we didn't really listen to it that much. So I had heard that song, but I didn't know who really had done it by the time I was watching it. And I had thought that that was really uh, Matthew Broderick singing that song. Yeah. And so I thought he, it was just like his voice and everything. So whenever I heard it years later and mm -hmm. saw that it was actually John Lennon singing that, mm -hmm. then I was like, oh. Yeah. So he was just lip, lip syncing that stuff. But I thought his lip syncing, uh, Donka Shane and mm -hmm. Twist and Shot, I thought that was actually Matthew Broderick singing yeah. that. So wasn't until a while later that I realized that he was lips. And, you know, they had to, they filmed that in two days. Jennifer Grey was in that scene who played Janine mm -hmm. or Jeannie, I mean. Mm -hmm. um, but she, they put on like a wig and glasses and some like nose makeup, I think, oh, to, to disguise her. But she didn't want to, 
she, she was going to be left out of the scene and she didn't want to be let. She wanted yeah. to be part of the scene. Mm-hmm. So they let her dress up and be part of the scene and everything. But I mean, they had real shots of like the window washers and construction workers dancing and stuff. And mm-hmm. those were real shots. And then they'd have dancers come in. But it was like, you know, the first day they did the parade scene and then the second day they did the real musical numbers and all that. But man, what a, I kept looking at all the windows and all the buildings all around here. Yeah. That scene. Just to be able to like be in a building when that was being filmed. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, there's uh, so imagine, many people too. Imagine taking pictures of that happening. Like you know, you're like right next to where the float is, and you're taking pictures of of Matthew Broderick on a float. Yeah. Years later, you get him to sign it or something. Like, yeah, that'd be cool. How much that would be worth just because you know you were there and you took a picture while the scene yeah. was being shot and everything. Mm-hmm. It's one of these epic epic scenes in a movies that that are so iconic. Yeah. You know, uh, really, Ferris Bueller's Day Off all leads to that parade scene. Yeah. And that was a big thing where, you know, Cameron learned to just finally just let it go and cut loose. Yeah. And he was. He was finally in the car. He was, like, cutting loose, just chilling. And he was, for once, not Cameron anymore. And then they saw that as they were doing all their fun stuff in Chicago, the people at the garage had taken the Ferrari out, joyriding. 300 miles, right? Well, it was at 30-something or like 312. I think it was 307. And they took it out and it was 100-something. So there was like, you know, over 150 miles or something like that put on it. Um, And like I said, when they realized that in the city, it was like 307. And then when they were doing whatever they were doing back in Cameron's garage at the end of the movie, it was like 317. So that's why I was like, well, I guess there's only 10 miles from Chicago to Cameron's house or whatever. But... um, Anyways, uh, Cameron flips out. He loses it, and he just goes blank. And they can't they can't get him to wake up. They they think he's gone catatonic. They think he's just been in so much shock. But this is where I was talking about. He even has like a baptism scene, where he falls mm-hmm. into the pool, you know. And he said he spent the whole time just thinking about his life, thinking about how he doesn't want to be sick anymore. He doesn't want to mm-hmm. be. He's sick of being sick. He's sick of being who he is. Um, and the whole day you know helped him realize that and you know he you know, he jumps and ferris bueller jumps in you know and he pulls him out so he's kind of like the hero or whatever uh and uh so anyways he he has that baptism moment but that's when he tells ferris you know he's like this is the best day of my life yeah and ferris is like got a big smile on his face because that's what he wanted for yeah. his friend mm-hmm. because he said it when cameron was catatonic he's like <clears throat> you know this isn't going to last forever for me and cameron you know he's like we're both going to go to school next year and we'll see each other every once in a while and come back in town. And then he's like, that'll really be it. So he knows that his friendship with Cameron is about to be over because yeah. they're going to go off and do their own lives. And he's like, same thing with Sloan, really. So it's almost like this this day is not only for him, but it's like a last hurrah thing to have an amazing day with Sloan. It's a last hurrah and last-ditch effort to have a good day for Cameron, to wake him up to you know things in his life and we haven't really talked about it but really you know he grew up in a house that was cold and ferris talks about this cold and you couldn't touch anything and everything is so sanitary and um just no life there his mom is in decatur you know his his mom is always off somewhere she doesn't want anything to do with him his dad cares about the cars more than he does so he's a very depressed very sick child and when i say sick you know more just like you know depressed in the head he always mm-hmm. thinks he's sick or whatever and um you know so so ferris just wanted this one last day for that because he knows that cameron's not going to have him around to push him to do these things yeah and now cameron had this wake up moment 
where he was thinking about everything and he's like i'm sick of being sick all the time and, and he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna stand up and he goes in he sees that the odometer's not coming down and he's like screw it i'll go along with this i'm gonna i'm gonna talk to the old man and we're, we're gonna have a discussion and he's like, you know, I'm just so sick of how he is. And he starts kicking the car. Yeah. And he's taking out all his anger and everything. And he finally gets to the point where, you know, he's not going to do anything else. And, you know, the car ends up going out when he leans on it. Yeah. But, you know, because it's being in reverse, the, the car reverses out and it gets totaled. It goes out the back window and gets completely destroyed. And even Ferris says, you killed the car. What did I do? You killed the car. Cameron, it's my fault. I'll take the heat for it. We'll wait for your father to come home, and when he gets here, I'll tell him that I did it. He hates me anyway. No. I'll take it. No, I'll take it. No. No, you don't want this much heat. I want it. If I didn't want it, I wouldn't have let you take the car out this morning. I made you take the car this morning. I could have stopped you. It is possible to stop Mr. Ferris Bueller, you know. No. I want it, I'm gonna take it. That's it. When Morris comes home, he and I'll just have a little chat. It's cool. No, it's gonna be good. Thanks anyway. And Ferris, I didn't say, I said he didn't change, but he did slightly change. Because he did say, I'll take the heat for this one. And usually Ferris wouldn't do that because yeah. he doesn't take the heat for anything. Not that he always trying to get away from from what he you know you know punishments or whatever, but you know he just happens to always get away with stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I don't know. Do you think he said that knowing Cameron wouldn't let him take the heat, or do you think he said that really no. like look look I know you're going to get in a lot of trouble. Let me take the heat for. I it. think he genu- genu- genuinely wanted to take the heat for it because. You know, I, I kind of feel like he was like, yeah, I'll take the heat for it. I'm not going to get in trouble for anything because I never get in trouble for anything, but yeah. I'll take the heat for this one. You know, I mean, it, it is out of character for him, Yeah. but I think it's also in character because he might actually just believe that he'll get away with it anyways, either yeah. way, you know? Yeah. So uh, then Cameron decides, he's, you know, this upbeat, happy music starts playing and Cameron decides he's finally going to stand up for himself. He's going to have a talk with his dad. He's going to work some things out. And if his dad doesn't want to change, then he's going to move on with his life without his dad, without his mom, yeah. you know, do his own thing. Mm-hmm. And then who knows, maybe him and Cameron, he'll start relying on Ferris a little bit more. And, you know, yeah. Ferris will teach him how to live in the real world when yeah. you don't have all these rich cars and stuff. But um, while that's happening, Janine is at the police station. She meets a uh, Charlie Sheen that's been up for two days. Uh, and uh, he... Uh, Drop some knowledge yeah, on her. Basically says, "What's your what's your deal?" And she's like, "My deal is my brother, and he always gets away with everything." And he's like, "Okay, so <laughs> he literally knows who his, her brother is." Yeah, too. and of course, uh, uh, Janine, who's played by Jennifer Grey and Charlie Sheen, they were also in a movie a couple years before this called uh, Red Dawn. Yeah, I'm sure people have seen that with uh, Patrick Swayze, Swayze, and Pony Boy. Yep. Uh, wait, no, Pony Boy wasn't in this one. No, that it was. In- no, I know that was the outsider. But what was I? Who else was in this besides him? It was Charlie Sheen, Jennifer Grey, and oh, the one who played Lorraine in Back to the Future, Marty's mom. I can't remember what her name is. But yeah. Anyways, um, so uh, he meet, she meets him, and she he's basically like, look, you know, you gotta 
he basically drops Ferris's life uh, mantra on her. Yeah. You know, basically live and let live. Yeah. Stop worrying about what other people are doing mm-hmm. and just worry about yourself. And, you know, and maybe that's why Ferris gets away with so much and has such a life because he really doesn't care how everybody else's life is going. All he's concerned about is what he's going to do with his life. And, you know, if you become too obsessed with comparing yourself to somebody else or doing this and that, you know, that's when, you know, you start to get inside your own head. And if you could just like let that stuff go, somebody else's life is their own life. Let them live their life. I'm going to do me. That's kind of like the Ferris Bueller mantra. Yeah. You know, and he finally dropped that on her and, you know, they made out and all that kind of stuff. But when she's driving home (laughs) and they almost hit Ferris and papers go everywhere and they look at each other, she's still trying to beat him home. Yeah. So do you think she was trying to get him in trouble or do you think it's a thing where um, she was like it it was just automatic in her head? I got to beat him home so I could sell him out. And then when she got there, she remembered what Charlie Sheen had said. Yeah. The wise wisdom of Charlie Sheen. You never really hear that much about talking nope. talking about a movie or whatever. But um, they get home and maybe, it's, maybe she drank some tiger blood. Maybe, maybe. But you feel like she made a change because of what she talked about in that police station because she yeah. helped Ferris get away with it. He was caught by Rooney. But even then, he could still explain it away. Be like, no, I came out here because I heard something with the yard or whatever. So I got dressed and came out here. But he's all sweaty. He still looks like he might be sick or whatever. But um, she helps him get off with it. She's like, oh, yeah, you walk home from the hospital. Get in here and get in bed and everything. And then she's like, you left your wallet in the kitchen. And so I don't know what made her race him home if she had made that change already. Unless... She was because she did kind of smile when they did their little stare off before they took off. Um, so maybe she was trying to get home to help him. No, I think I this is what I think. I think she was trying to get a little bit of control because I think she wanted she didn't want to get him in trouble anymore. I think she changed, but I think she got home on purpose just to show Ferris that she has she some power. She could have won. Yeah, that she could have won and that she has a little bit of power well, there. Well, and also, I mean, she was caught right there, so now Ferris owes her one. Exactly. And Rooney never got picked up for for scaring her half to death and breaking into her house, so that was yeah. kind of like revenge for her yeah. is helping Ferris get away with it and saying, here's your wallet, yeah. throwing it over there. So, you know, if you have anything to say about it, we know you broke into our but house. But she can always say, you know, when they're – gray and old you know the characters of course but yeah when the when the characters are gray and old they can always say that you know she can always say remember that one time i got the best of you. yeah something like that because you know? maybe he's always getting the best of her well, and we know that like, he is you know yeah, from, and she's like much. look i could have sold you out here i could yeah i could have ruined everything but yep. i i helped you out even though i had no reason yeah, to exactly so. But anyways, that was uh, pretty interesting. And then we end with the line that we heard at the beginning, which is like an epic line from this movie. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. And that's the Ferris Bueller mantra that I was talking about is that stop, stop, you know, getting so caught up with with the ride because life is moving fast and, and looking at other people. Stop and look around and enjoy your life and the world that you live in because you might miss it. You can get old, get to a point where, you know, you, you get to be like Richard Vernon in The Breakfast Club or Rooney yeah. in this movie. And you're so focused on these other things, you're not enjoying life anymore. And that's where... And that's not a knock to educators. Just We, we just want to uh, announce on the show that we uh, respect educators. And so... Right, know, we're, but we're, we're talking about... educators yeah, are like that. We're talking about the universal 
uh, fight the power of the you know the teenage cry. Oh, absolutely. Fight the power against teachers. But I just want to let let, let her know yeah. about that. So yeah, I mean, but the, and, and you know he has no reason to say that except for that's how that's how he lives, Ferris. But he's saying that to basically. You know, this is what I want Cameron want Cameron to learn. Yeah. You know, life moves pretty fast if you don't stop and look around once in a while. Because he was just staying in bed, and letting life happen to him instead of seizing it, seizing every day. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much all. I, I think I covered everything that I wanted to say. All right. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think uh, one of the lines that Ferris Bueller said in the movie is if anyone needs a day off it's Cameron that's when he hung up with him he has a lot of things to sort out before he graduates and maybe he said at the end when he was comatose or whatever Mm -hmm. but um, that's another clue if anyone needs a day off it's Cameron Yeah. and so it's Ferris Bueller's day off it's his day off but he's bringing what the story is about those characters with him or at least Cameron so so yeah if you guys uh didn't think about it before, uh, you know, in our opinion, and we think this movie is about uh, Cameron figuring out how to live his life better and, and, and get out of the rut that he's been in and about, um, you know, the pinnacle of all what all teens wanted to be or wanted to be like is this kid who says, screw the pizza parlor, yeah. screw the arcade game. I'm going to go steal a Ferrari yeah. That sounds horrible. I mean, he borrowed it from his dad's father or whatever, but I'm going to do that and I'm going to go to Chicago. I'm going to go to these museums and these upper class places, the Sears Tower. I'm going to take over a parade and captivate a city and then go home and get in bed in time for my parents to come home. Yeah. That's that's what I mean, and not that in particular, but that essence is what every teen strives to be and wants to be, wants to be free of the shackles yeah. of being a kid and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So Trust what's me, your favorite part of this movie? Well, Cameron freaking out, going to pick up Ferris. Oh, oh, the part at the oh, beginning where yeah. he's just just like... Absolutely favorite part. Like, he's going to keep calling. <laughs> like, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. He kicks the gravel. I know, and then you see him walk away, and he walks out of, ca- uh, out of shot, and then it shows the car, and it's just nobody there, and then you see him, and you hear the footsteps before you see him. It's like... And then he's like jumping up and down. That's my favorite part. That's your favorite part. What about yours? Uh, the parade. I mean, I, I just yeah. love big spectacles like that. And it really shows that you don't even have to know Ferris at all. Talk to him or whatever. You just see him on a parade float and he's going to yeah. captivate you. He's going to, he, people are going to look up to him. He's one of these, he's like Lucas, where our cousin. Yeah, I was going to say that. Earlier. He doesn't have to do anything and people look up to him. He doesn't have to. Uh, you know, it, it just it's 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 effortless with him. You know, people just automatically look up to that person that to yeah. that like that person and 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 not really idolize, but you know, you're just you just automatically like that person. That's who Ferris is. Um, what's the worst? What's, what's the worst part of this movie? The story you told about Rooney earlier. Yeah, yeah, that'd be the worst part is. is finding out what happened with Jeff yeah, and Jeff. the rest of the movie was great and then I was like yeah he, he's so hilarious and then I found this out and I'm like Dude. yeah I categorize Ferris Bueller as I put him in this category as one of these perfect movies I don't think it's a perfect movie 
because when you break it down scene by scene and the, the scripts and the actors and the mm-hmm. director, I don't think it's like like that. Like we're looking at Oscars or putting it on a list of the best of all time type thing. But it's one of these perfect movies where it's exactly what it, it is. You know, it doesn't try to be more than it is. It's just supposed to be a fun movie with a little bit of development and seriousness that are made more John Hughes-like, you know, with John Hughes' humor and, and the way he edits and, and directs and everything. Um, I just, I, I, I really, I, like Back to the Future, that's like another one of those yeah. just perfect, fun movies. Indiana Jones. Oh, yeah. Um, you know... Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles. I mean, it's just... And, you know, maybe that's that's more for, for you or whatever, but I think that many generations can come to this movie and be like, yeah, this is one of those movies that everybody can put on. Just like, let's have a fun movie. Let's watch a fun movie. And you put it on that. You don't have to even pay attention the whole time, but you know what's going on. You have certain parts that make everybody pay attention more, and you even have sing-along that you have <laughs> and all that. So it's just one of these amazing movies. If you have not seen it, please go watch it. It's worth the rent. Uh, I, don't th- I don't know if it's on Netflix or not. but I'm- Yeah. Is it on Netflix? I believe so. Okay, I didn't get on Netflix. I just, I own this because I owned it yeah. a while ago. But um, it's such a fantastic movie, and it's just a, a fun movie. Don't take it too seriously. Um, just have a good time with it. I, yep. think you'll, I think you'll all have a good time. So uh, if you guys want to get a hold of us, we're on all social media at the Post Credit Podcast. Um, our email address, oh, except for on Twitter, we're at the Post Credit. Our email address is, you think I have this down by now. <laughs> Our email address is thepostcreditpodcast at gmail.com. We have a website. It's www.thepostcreditpodcast.com, and we're on YouTube. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening, and we'll see you next time. And throw me a bone. Yeah. <laughs>